Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Patriot Strong. I am joined tonight by two of the bravest uh, women that I can think of. Um, you know, they are going to share their story with you, Sylvia and KK. You guys, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for what you are doing. Um, you guys, this is going to be a very good episode. Uh, um, you know, it's happening in our backyards and a lot of people aren't even aware. So thank you so much for joining me, ladies. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us on. Um, Sylvia, I know that you have kind of taken a lead and kind of uh, shown a spotlight on all of this. So if you can introduce yourself and then kind of your background and how you got to where you are right now. Okay. Um, so basically, I started out in the foster care system by mentoring. Um, it was mentoring and then uh, a position in the group home opened up. Um, as staff member. So I started out as a staff member. Um, I didn't have a degree at the time. Uh, you don't need a degree for staff or mentoring, just so everyone knows. And then um, I enjoyed working there. And that's where I met KK was at the group home. And then I was working on my bachelor's in social work from the University of Georgia and obtained my bachelor's, uh, moved over to case managing. I've been a case manager a transporter, a behavior aid, a parent aid, and a life coach. Um, but uh, so pretty much just the whole system was kind of shocking for me. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I come from a, a just a regular family. I didn't, I knew nothing about gang members, gang affiliations, or runaways, or self-harm, or a, it's just in survival mode the whole time you're there. And these poor kids, they grow up in a, an environment that is hard to function when they're out uh, on their own even. Right. Um, so that's what really struck, struck me was just the environment. Like there, it was just, there's no stability. There's no normalcy. Like you, you have a schedule, but the kids don't want to be there. And, and KK can kind of tell you how the environment is too, because that was her life, um, was surviving there and just trying to be surviving every day, basically. Um, and so we came up with Rescue the Fosters um, because we want to give children a stable environment, but also when KK aged out of the system, um, they just drop you. So they basically say, where do you want me to drop you? And, um, you know, like, where do I go? So uh, Rescue the Fosters is for um, foster youth aging out of the system. It's to help keep them off the streets. Um, so we'll be offering like interview skills, uh, resume writing, um, clothing for interviews, application for college, uh, obtaining housing, uh, things like that to, to have a stable uh, adulthood. And that's where Rescue the Fosters is going to be. So we just we just launched it. We're still working on the website. Awesome. Um, you know, that's a really great program. It sounds like you guys are really doing, you know, a lot of work that most people take for granted. You know, um, you said, Sylvia, that you grew up in like a normal household and that kind of stuff is just learned. So for children who don't have, that privilege or opportunity to, you know, learn this as you go. 
I bet it's like very overwhelming and over like just over emotional trying to learn and you know grasp the uh, the skills that come so easily or normal you know in a normal situation yes for so, sure KK can you uh, um, kind of introduce yourself to my listeners and how you got here and why you are um, teaming up with Sylvia and speaking out against everything um, so basically with me, like my background is that, um, I don't know about biological parents. Um, I was adopted at the age of four in New Delhi, India. I was adopted by an American family and, um, like I stayed with them from about, uh, four to 15. Yes, I, I did have like a safe environment, all that, but I just never felt like the love there. But then uh, it started to change when I got abused with my, uh, by my brother and then like 15, that's when I, uh, you know, basically started running away. And then that's when I got into foster care. And um, I mean, I've only been to really three placements. I was never really a bad child. Um, yes, I was very rebellious at times, but I was never like really that bad, honestly. So, um, but uh, a lot of the places I went to, like I saw a lot of, you know, favoritism. I saw a lot of, you know, corruption, but I also saw a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. Um, went so basically uh, my last placement was at uh, a group home and that's where I met Miss Sylvia and uh, basically she was my case manager no no she was not my case manager she was my staff my bad she was my staff she was uh, she would help out on the weekends and that's how me and her just developed a good relationship but she was really like you know everyone loved her and um but like for me, uh, yes, I did see a lot of corruption, like, you know, girls cutting themselves, uh, girls trying to kill themselves, uh, gang affiliations, um, just a whole, whole bunch of stuff, runaways, um, you name it, I saw it. And, uh, and because of that, like, I stayed away from that. So I stayed really grounded in God and just exercising and staying to myself and trying to help the girls out the best way that I could, you know, give them advice or just, you know, show them the way by being an example. Um, yes, a lot of them kind of, you know, thought that like I was like the favorite, but that's not what it was. It was just I wanted to do the right thing and do what I had to do to get out of there and have a successful uh, life that I could. And then Basically, after I um, got out of there, uh, when I turned 21, yeah, I aged out. And then, like she was saying, you basically have to defend for yourself. And since you're in such a survival mode, you get kind of, you know, trapped in that type of environment. So it's hard sure. for you to operate out of that. And it's like, you're very fearful. you got to figure out how to do a lot of these things on your own because you did have that. And then now it's like, I don't really think they did the best to prepare you to, you know, get out of the system. And that's why Sylvia and I came up with Rescue the Fosters, because, you know, I don't want kids to be left alone or like sleeping in their car or being homeless and, you know, living on the streets or, you know, having to have sex with someone just to stay, you know, because that stuff happens a lot. And a lot of people don't want to talk about that, but that stuff is going on in a lot of, you know, foster care kids a lot of what happens to them is they either get locked up or they die or they get pregnant and it's just you they go missing and you don't really hear about a lot of it and it's really sad to me because one I've had a lot of experience with that and I mean I really love you know being the voice and 
that's something that I had to really do for myself was to advocate. So now it's like, I want kids to know that they have a voice and someone that does care and, you know, provide resources to help them out the best way that we can. So. And it's, it's so good and so smart, I think, for you both to be, you know, conjoined together within all of this, because you have it from both aspects, from a staff point of view, and then from a child point of view who is experiencing this and living this, you know, every day for years and years. Um, and I would imagine that children who are in this kind of day-to-day -day life, they might feel like they're left out or they don't have anybody to talk to or to lean on and, you know, that emotional development might not be there. Um, so for you both to be able to provide that, you know, on two different levels, that's so important, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it is it is traumatizing for both, not just for the child, and I think that's what people don't understand too, is it's tra it was traumatizing for me, just being in the environment, and I was an adult. Right. So imagine a child that's growing and trying to, you know, you need nurture and you need stability. And that's not in the foster systems. Nurture and stability is gone. Like they've removed it. And um, that's really a part of, of being a successful adult, you know? Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot to cover in the foster system. It's almost like, where do you want to start? Um, we can uh, talk about the group home life and then uh, the case managing life. I thought the group home life had had prepared me for the case managing, but case managing was harder and it was, oh, yeah. uh, it was more difficult. And we had, um, we had goals that people don't realize that we had, like you have goals on just like, like a sales, like you have to maintain your goals. And I had a really big issue with that. I had a huge issue with that because I thought there should be more kids, you know, less kids in the system, not more. Can you just kind of go into that? Um, I was listening to a couple of your interviews earlier, and I know that that is a huge, broad spectrum that people don't realize um, placement, is that what they're called, or foster homes, they have like quotas that they have to meet, which was so bizarre. Like I was shocked whenever I heard that. So I never heard that before in my life, but um, right. you went into that in great detail. Can you share a little bit of that tonight? Yeah, so the way the foster system works is basically CPS goes into your home, they remove a child, and then the placement agencies are nonprofits. So these are nonprofits. Group homes are nonprofits. Placement agencies like the foster homes. A lot of the juvie systems are nonprofits. Um, and the reason is because the funding comes from Title IV-E funding. So Title IV-E funding uh, it has to go to a placement agency, like a nonprofit, and that's how they get funding. So um, the way that it was in the group home or, or the foster home, because uh, there was a portion that was group home and then there was a portion that was foster. So you basically get, um, I think right now, and it, it's probably more now, but it was at the time it was like a hundred and something for your base child. It was like one thirty-five a day, and then two hundred for your uh, MWO. KK was considered an MWO, and that's because she was a runner. So she ran away. So she was more. Uh, so she basically needed more services. That's how it's presented. 
So any of your um, your runners, your self-harm, your sexually abused kids, and we had a lot of sex trafficked kids, and that was the first time that I noticed that the U.S. had a sex trafficking problem. Wow. Um, so you get more money for those. And then what they do is like the group home would keep the total amount, but it, the foster parent would get like, for a foster parent, they'd get like 60, $65 a day per child. And they could keep three child, three children in the home because they have issues like sexual abuse and things like that. So um, you can't do more than three. So if you add up 60, say 65, 70 per day per child for 30, 31 days, it comes up to almost six grand a month. So I don't know if you ever <laughs> realize wow. that's how much money they're getting in these homes. It's it's more than it's it was more than I made as a case manager. Right. And then wow. we had goals, which was uh, which I do have the goals now. Uh, I think the last interview I didn't have them on, but it's basically it would tell you by location. All right. I think we wanted a hundred kids and we had like 88, something like that. Um, and we were told that if, um, if a child was reunited, cause you have reunification or adoption. So we were told if they were reunited or adopted, we had to bring in more kids, which I had a huge issue with. Like, wow. where, like where, where do you get this kid from? And that was my thing was, okay, okay, if uh, if I see a kid on the street and I grab that kid, that kid is not my kid. You can't just grab a kid and just have right. it. Yeah, like, where does this come from? So what they would tell us to do is they would tell us to call the case managers because we had for every county in Georgia. So you call the case managers and say, hey, we have space okay, that's not really helping the child, right? So that was a huge issue we had was goals, um, the amount of money they were making. Um, and I, I wrote, like I wrote a letter saying how they needed to, to focus on the quality of care provided to the kid, not the quantity of kids. Right. Um, and it was a huge pressure. Like, if anyone has ever had a sales position and you're hounded for sales, that's how it was. You were you were told basically if you didn't have if you didn't maintain your uh, case plan that you were fired. And you know it's yeah. it's bizarre to even think about um, like an occupation or anything that would compare children to like sales or meeting your quota. Um, right. it's, it's a foreign concept. I can't even imagine like the mindset of the people who think that that kind of thing is okay because that's, it's disgusting. <laughs> wow. Right, right. It, it, it is disgusting and I had a huge problem with it. Uh, but, and they said it so casually, like if you weren't like, you're like, you know, like what? Wow. And especially if you're, you know, this is, this is not normal. Uh, so that's, that was a huge issue that I, I had with the system. Um, 
And I feel like there was another question in there. I wanted to hear what you were talking about, but go right ahead, please. Um, so like basically going off what she said was like, I mean, the foster the girls in the group home that I was at, like we all already knew that, that we were just for money, you know, like we could all feel that. And also we could just tell that something was off about the place. It wasn't right. And, you know, we had like it's just it was a very dark environment and yeah, we all basically knew that we were just for money, basically, and a profit at the end of the day. And that's why, you know, you would see some girls come and then some leave and then more come and then, then they leave and then more come. And it was just like, it used to be like a base, a base facility like she was talking about. And then they changed it and they brought like all different type of girls from lockdowns and other places just so that they could get more money. Wow. Yeah, and it did, and, and and the staff really uh, thought about that because they were bringing in MWO kids to get that higher rate, like she was saying, but that's when the kids were really having to fight, you know, like for survival, there were fights every day, there was runaways every day, and then uh, the way that the runaways are handled is that there's no 911 call. So you call the local police and you report it as a runaway and they just put it in like a runaway and there's uh, no missing reports. Wow. So, so no wonder so many kids actually go missing from CPS every year and you're like, you're not even allowed to file it. Is that right? Well, so the way that it works is you, we were a placement agency. So we would turn it, we would call it into the case manager and the case manager does, you know, report it to national missing and exploited children, Okay. but there's no search party. There's no, uh, it's only a lookout for them. If you see them then pick them up, um, normally if they were gone, they were normally gone with after the two miles like if you didn't catch them within the first two miles they were gone wow. and yeah I'm sorry I was just commenting you know and that's true if you don't act soon then you know who knows what's gonna happen right and then they would run away from school so like some of them would go to school and not come home uh some of them would um you know and then a lot of times they would return but it was because of the weather you know, like it was raining, it was cold, uh, they didn't have enough food, you know, things like that. But they would usually, if they came back, they'd be gone for like a few days and then they'd come back. And uh, KK can probably talk about running because she was a runner, you know. Um, she ran away one time when it, when we were, when she was there at Elks and uh, uh, before that, uh, she was a runner before she got there. I think she ran the night that they brought her in. She ran and they had to, you didn't run that night? No, I ran, I waited. Okay, so I, I was supposed to come on a Wednesday. I ran at the other group home. Oh, okay. And then uh, I came, I was, look, so like I was saying, I was supposed to come on Wednesday, but then I ran at the other placement because I didn't want to leave there. And then they brought me he, uh, to where you were working at on on a Friday and then I think I had waited till maybe like two or three days until I got settled in and then that's when I ran away 
But the thing was with me was I was very smart at it. I didn't make it very noticeable. So like when I was running away, I just jumped out the window. You know, I didn't walk out the front door like the other girls did. So, um, yeah. And then basically what happened was, long story short, it was about it was me and like three other girls. One of them was on probation. And she had an ankle monitor on. But the thing was, we were trying to get her to not come near us because we knew that the that the PO could track her. So that was one way how they tracked us. So we would try to like get away from her, but she kept coming to us. <laughs> and a lot of crazy stuff happened. Uh, the girl that did have the ankle monitor, she was the one that knocked on the door and almost got a gun pulled on her. And then it was a lot of crazy stuff that happened when we were running away. But unfortunately, we really didn't even get that far. We probably only got up to like this uh, a little bit before the school because we didn't live far from the school. We live like, honestly, up, up the street from the school. Yeah. So, yeah, that was basically one of the stories. But no, I didn't hurt myself or anything. So, Kiki, in the in where you were what was like a an everyday like an everyday schedule or everyday activities that you did wake up to bedtime so basically um we would wake up I forgot exactly what time we woke up I think it was like around seven I think it was um but the thing is what we had to do was so every morning uh before we go to school you know, we have to get ready, get dressed, take a shower, whatever we had to do. And then the other thing is, once we're done getting ready, we have to put up our hygiene and give it to the staff. They would have to lock them in the room and then they would give us like, you know, some type of breakfast, like a juice or like a muffin and some snacks for later. And then uh, so then we waited till the school bus came and then they picked us up. We went to school, came back. And then basically when you come back, you basically just chillax for a little bit you know because you're letting all the girls come back from school and then we had like you know sometimes we would have meetings sometimes we would have like a I forgot what it was called like a training thing or we would have different meetings and things like that um and then you know, basically we would just have to do schoolwork. and then one of the girls had to cook and the staff would help them cook and then uh then we would also have to go to like the education center where we did our like to get tutoring, but that was only like Tuesdays and Thursdays. So um, and then basically we go to bed early in a way, like around eight or nine and then do the same thing over. Like you take a shower, get all your stuff. And then I think I can't remember if we put our high. I don't think we have to put her. No, I think we did have to put our hygiene up at night, too. So that's basically what was the routine in a way. So it's like every single day. But then on top of that, you got to remember that every day was all, some days was a little different because we had fights or we had people running away or we had like people trying to kill themselves or we had people trying to, you know, cut themselves or get pimped out, things like that. So it was always something new. People destroying the place, someone trying to fight the staff. Um, it was really just, it's like a, you never know what to expect sometimes either, even though that was the normal day. Sometimes you don't know what to expect on a day. Today, so baby. in your like every day or from any time that you can remember, did you actually ever see like child trafficking happen or sex trafficking happen 
whenever well, you were there? The only thing I did see was I didn't know. Okay, so there was a girl that was like, I guess, trying to get people to run away with her. But at first, I didn't know she was the person who like does the pimping. I didn't know that. But then I, you know, talked to some of the staff and things like that. And um, yeah, they did say that there was a person who was a pimp and who would take the girls and run away with them and one thing I did witness was two of the girls actually did run away with them one of them I actually did talk to because I had class with her and I stopped seeing her coming to class so she ended up running away with one of the, the girl that was the pimp and um that's really all I saw was her I didn't see them actually run away but I know that she went with them and they didn't come back but unfortunately I'm surprisingly actually they made it back not like back to displacement but they made it back to Georgia wherever they were at that's all I heard so I did see that and Sylvia just hearing all of that and I'm sure you heard much more stories it has to be hard just to like this is my job this is what I have to go face and deal with every single day yeah, and it was, and she is right about the pimp. So we had one girl, I, the story she's talking about was after I left, but there was one other girl who had a pimp. And um, what the pimp does is they get them addicted to a drug like heroin. She was addicted to heroin. So she was craving that heroin. So she wanted to get back to the pimp. So she got one of the other girls and I told the other girl, I was like, don't run away with her because um, it's not going to be good. Well, she ran away with her and she pimped her out. Then she can't, she did make it back, but she made it back like two days later. And she was just messed up because um, the girl, you know, jumped, like dropped her. And then uh, with the, with another guy and, she got pimped out and then she comes back all messed up um but that's and then so then then she ended up back at the place again the girl that had the pimp and um she she got arrested for something and before we could even pick her up I think she got picked up by the pimp again so that's another wow. thing CPS will not uh, like if say you get in trouble and you end up in juvie cps does not bail you out so if you have a pimp the pimp will go bail them out and take them so and that was just like that's that's another way that they do it so it happens that's so crazy you know you hear about this stuff like in movies or you know on whatever tv show but for you guys to say like, yeah, no, this is actually happening and it's happened many times. I am an eyewitness to it. You know, it makes you uh, kind of wonder about the corruption that's in the entire system as a whole. Right. Um, because, and that, and that's what I, I think is the hardest part for people to understand is that um, it's going on right in front of you right all around you but if I hadn't been in the foster system I wouldn't have recognized it and they do teach you ways to recognize it and I think that uh that would be something really good for us to teach is how to recognize it 
because we did take classes on that and I can give a few examples if you just want like a quick one and that's they tattoo the kids so they they used to tattoo um it started out on the back of the neck then it moved and it's small tattoos they're little small little tattoos and um I think the last one was on the back um but they move them around um try to make it to where you can't see them so that's one thing you look for is tattoos um also they look for vulnerable children so teach your children to walk with their head held high like if you're um they they look for things that they can control you know so um that's another thing like walk with your head held high uh, if you look them in the eye you know they're not going to want that so things like that um and then like um you can i don't know it's just hard like I'll have to go back and look at some of the things that we were taught, but we were, we did have classes on how to recognize it and know if somebody was being trafficked. And um, I think we are going to end it here. You know, there's so much more that we need to talk about, but I don't want to get into a middle of a subject and then run out of time. Um, this has been crazy, you know, all of the things that you don't want to believe, um, the things that people roll their eyes at whenever you bring it up, the uncomfortable topics of what you guys are diving into. And I'm thankful that you guys are standing up and exposing it because there are so many children in the foster system that stay in there from birth until they age out and you don't know what's happening in between. So thank you guys so much for joining me. I would love to have you back on um, just so we can go into more if that's something that you would like to do. Anytime. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much um, for tuning in. You You guys make sure that you check out the organization. What is it called? Save the Fosters, correct? Uh, Rescue the Fosters. Rescue the Fosters. Yep. It's Rescue the Fosters. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Um, I haven't figured out Facebook yet, and we have uh, Rumble. We're on Insight. It's called Rescue the Fosters. Okay. Um, um, if you want to text me all of those handles, and then I will put them up on the show as soon as I upload it. Okay. And yeah. uh, I would love to have you guys back on. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having have us. A, have a good night, guys. You, you too. too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm here to tell you about my new product from MyPillow, towels that actually work. Watch this absorbency test. Here's another towel that we randomly went out and bought. Here's one of my towels with the nice design. I don't know if you can see this, but you could line a swimming pool with this. This is crazy. Get rid of it. Towels that actually work. The new MyPillow towels are exclusively made with 100% USA combed cotton with proprietary technology and with maximum absorbency. They dry you faster and are guaranteed to work.
I'm interrupting this commercial to bring you my BOGO extravaganza. For example, you get one of my Giza Dream bed sheets and you get a second set absolutely free. Or my six-piece towel sets. Buy one set, get another one absolutely free. Or get my classic premium my pillow and get another one absolutely free. So call the number on your screen or go to mypillow.com and use your promo code to get my buy one, get one free offers and get deep discounts on all my pillow products.